Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. All right, welcome to the Cyber24 Podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions to keep your organization safe. My name is Marty Carpenter of 24.9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. And today, our guest is Tyler Moffat. He's a senior security analyst of OpenText Security. And we're going to talk about cyber risks in the remote work world. Now, specifically, we're going to get into uh, this survey that uh, OpenText did of Americans to show that risky cyber behaviors are more prevalent in tech-savvy Americans. We want to talk about how that's impacting business, whether or not remote work is making risky cyber behavior worse. We're going to talk about the recent Uber breach and what that means for your business. And we're going to talk about you know, if you did nothing else as a small to medium-sized organization, what are the two or three things you could do to go from completely open on cybersecurity to actually pretty darn secure? Maybe not perfectly secure, but to improve things in a very short order. Uh, we're also going to talk about employee security awareness, whether or not that's enough, or if there are other things you can do to fill in those cybersecurity gaps. Our guest is Tyler Moffitt from OpenText Security. Hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, Tyler Moffat from OpenText Security is our guest today. Tyler, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Marty. So let's start here for our audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background in cybersecurity, and then tell us a little bit about OpenText Security and what it does and your role there. Sure, absolutely. So um, <clears throat> I've been in uh, the security industry for, I'd say, over 15 years now, uh, specifically with uh, Webroot, which is sort of... Um, the the company that was bought by OpenText, if you will, um, obviously originally started in Geek Squad way back when, like 2005, right? Oh, wow. Working at okay. Geek Squad for like five years. Um, and Webroot was like the number one, you know, antivirus that we would recommend and scan and use when we removed malware or sold a PC, if that makes sense, and put on the computer. And uh, I liked Webroot so much. I happened to be living in Colorado Boulder, where Webroot was headquartered. Um, when that happened. And one day I just decided I'm going to stop being a Geek Squad agent. And I'm going to go, you know, start basically level one at Webroot, sort of work and support, doing the same sort of thing. And then from there, you know, worked into threat research where you're actually classifying malware in a database. That was really cool. It did get boring pretty fast. Your class, it feels like you're matching colors in the database. Um, and then was one of the few that decided I could speak to people and do webinars and then evolve into conferences. And now I work in marketing uh, for OpenText after Webroot got bought out by Carbonite, which is data security backup. And then that company got bought out by OpenText. And so now we work in OpenText security. Um, and so basically OpenText security is this division that OpenText has created to sort of have you know, everything you would possibly need for your solutions, whether it's, uh, you know, actual security on files, we're talking like, you know, executables, binaries, ransomware, or email security, blocking out malicious links or DNS, you know, URL IP, um, or all the way down to the data security backups and everything with Carbonite. They've basically sort of created this one-stop shop of, uh, 
whatever type of solution you need, whether it comes to security and securing it, we can do it for you. And, and that's where we are with, uh, with open text. And I work in marketing now. So I help out marketing a lot as like sort of a, uh, a threat data liaison, making sure that uh, our marketeers and everybody I work with in marketing uh, knows what the best data and current trends are, things like that. And also work with the community. I'm the community manager um, on, uh, you know, community.webroot.com. So I help out there and we're going to be doing some cool, cool giveaways next month for, for Halloween. We had a nastiest malware we're debuting where we talk about like the nastiest threats of the year. So we'll be doing some cool, spooky Halloween stuff. That'll be fun. Oh, sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we've got, uh, <laughs> when the pandemic hit and everyone sort of shifted automatically to remote work and then yeah. decided that they loved remote work and stayed there. <laughs> I, me as well. I'm, I'm sitting here in my home office in a yep. you know, pair of shorts and a t-shirt <laughs> recording a podcast. It's so much better than going into the office, but it seems like uh, for the most part, everybody loved remote work with the exception of uh, a handful of CEOs who want people to go back to the office. And I think at least initially uh, those who were in charge of cybersecurity for organizations, because suddenly they had a bunch of workers who had shifted uh, out of, a, a more controlled space and into a remote setting. And with that came all kinds of uh, attack vectors <laughs> that opened up for bad actors. And and so uh, I, I'm just wondering, like, where are we right now on the security side of remote work? Have we gotten better since it was sort of forced upon everybody and we hit this, uh, this tipping point to push everybody to remote work? Uh, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> totally with you there as well. Um, I also moved to remote work, helped me move from Colorado to, to Florida where I enjoy doing it, but there is some ramifications and, and issues with remote work, especially when, I mean, we just heard about a whole bunch of breaches, but the problem it lies where initial setup is one employee getting compromised, basically potentially giving away the keys to the kingdom. And then that's a problem because if we have a lot of employees working remote, um, you know, what do they have access to? Are they using their personal computers? What is the security, you know, infrastructure like on their personal PC, the, the work machine they're supposed to use? And it's usually way different, you know, um, people on, we have actually a lot of this data we've actually done on sort of a, <clears throat> a risk index scale that we had sort of done as a uh, COVID clicks is actually the survey that we did um, back when the pandemic was, was pretty big and basically looking for this type of data you're talking about. What is it like with people working at home? What are the risks? And we found that like, you know, uh, almost two thirds of people working at home are either going to be using their personal PC for work-related stuff or using their work uh, PC for personal related things. And obviously that's going to increase the chance of uh, encountering an infection, compromise, rolling the dice, if you will. You roll it way more. And some other interesting things we found in that web risk index is that tech savvy, uh, specifically in America, tech savvy Americans are actually the most risk. Uh, <laughs> they, they encounter the most risk because they're inside had so many different things and have so many different accounts. Um, and when I first encountered this, I was kind of like, what, why am I considered the, mo the riskiest over like my mother or, or, or grandmother or something? And to be fair, like I also am in cryptocurrency and I have so many different accounts across so many different, you know, websites um, beyond just work um, that I may be logging into and subject to, you know, attempts of phishing just because I'm inundated with so many different tech stack accounts that I am logging into um, or managing, not only from a business standpoint from my work, but also personally through my own hobbies or investments that uh, the overall exposure is just 
exponential increase compared to the average American. So is remote work making risky cyber behavior worse, or is it just that people who go out and work remotely are in that same kind of situation that they have 300, 500 different accounts with different passwords, or maybe the same password on them as the case may be? I would say remote work making cyber risks or risky cyber behavior worse. Yeah, I would say more the latter. Uh, You're rolling the dice more. I'm not necessarily saying that because I'm sitting at home, I am inherently riskier than sitting necessarily at an office. Now we can talk about the individual computer you're using. Obviously, you should make requirements for if your employees are using their personal computers. Uh, Obviously, don't let them access any company data unless they go through a VPN that ensures all the compliance and privacy that's required through the security that, that, you know, your CTO and all the you pay the company is likely, you know, paying to make sure they're following all the exact guidelines and going through the pen testers and everything they say is what you should be doing. And it's constantly being evaluated. And you always have to, you know, change, if you will. No one really likes it. Um, but I mean, just for an example, at least with our company, I've got to go through like two different VPNs and logins just to access a whole bunch of data. And internally, and even on my own personal machine, if I'm going to do it, but I actually don't do it. I use my work machine for work-related things if I have to access that, because that's usually how they require it for certain areas that you have to go into. You can't do it unless you're on a work machine VPNing into the work environment. Um, and that makes sense, but that's not always the case. Obviously, I work for a very large company that has large IT security team. When it comes to small to medium-sized business, we are talking at totally different scenario um, where you have people that are basically just trusted with their own personal machines with sort of hardly any, if that makes sense, um, Mm -hmm. parameters or rules set in place about how they access uh, the information. In fact, some of them might just be using blanket default Microsoft RDP, right? In fact, that was the biggest thing we saw with some of the pandemic shifting is for the small to medium-sized businesses who were only ever working in one place at one point. They This was their first time they were forced to work remote. So they just went, okay, Microsoft remote desktop, flip it on. And the problem with that is like default settings and you have unlimited number of login attempts and you're open on port TCP 389. I mean, I mean this is pretty pretty uh, common things that we had seen back in like 2016, 2017, as far as abuse with ransomware, how they would like um, use like tools like Shodan.io and scan who's speaking RDP protocol and then brute force because you have unlimited number of login attempts. But believe it or not, it's still relevant today. A lot of government municipalities are still, because they have not a lot of IT budget, not a lot of IT staff, but a lot of machines to manage. They sort of set up these environments where remote desktop is like their biggest Achilles heel, if that makes sense, and, and backdoor setup. So it, it definitely, it varies based on the scenario and the person, but small to medium-sized businesses are the juiciest targets and usually have the biggest doors open, if that makes sense. Yeah. You, you mentioned VPNs and I want to just maybe follow up on that, um, especially for like a small and medium-sized businesses. Is it Maybe not enough of a step, but a really smart first step if you had a company of like, I don't know, let's say 10 employees and they've sure. all got their own sort of machine that they use as a, it's a computer, it's a it's a laptop that they use for work and they can use it for personal stuff. If you just said, all right, we've got everybody a, a subscription to ExpressVPN or some VPN sure. service and said, the only thing we ask is that one, when you get on uh, to do work, you know, when you're doing work with the company on on this laptop or whatever, that you turn on the VPN, and then mm-hmm. two, that you use a password manager, a one pass, last pass, something like that, and generate sure. really complex passwords. If a small business did like just that, 
would they be like exponentially better? <laughs> close, cyber close, to, close to yeah. exponential. That's pretty huge. I would add on if you could two factor mm -hmm. authentication. That's also huge as well. Um, because if they ever were to get their email, whether it's work or personal compromise on the machine, um, that's a big problem because then when, you know, hacker has access to that, they can also see all the accounts they signed up for and they can just go and literally click reset password. I've got access to the email and then can access it from there. Right. Not only that, but it's also like if it's a Gmail, um, then they, or, or Apple iCloud, you know, they're also getting access to the, the, the cloud storage drive, the Google drive, the Apple iCloud, the Microsoft OneDrive. Those are huge return on investments for criminals, especially a work account, getting access to work information, God forbid, you know, like customer, you know, uh, identifiable information like PII mm -hmm. um, through work information, like that's huge for them to start being like extorting you, if that makes sense, if mm -hmm. they get access to that. Um, so adding a two-factor, like you said, VPN plus the two-factor, which really isn't hard to implement and fairly cheap, you're, I would agree with you, 100% exponential increase and already like way better than 95% of most small and medium-sized businesses. If you're looking for protection from uncontrolled access, Salto can deliver the perfect solution, tailored to your exact requirements to provide you with all the security convenience and control you need. With Salto, you install access control in a wire-free environment, so there's no need to hardwire the building. Because Salto works on a virtual network, you can enroll or replace a lost key within seconds, making reprogramming and rekeying a problem of the past. See how Salto can make your access control and building security simpler and safer at vlcmtech.com slash Salto. That's vlcmtech.com slash S-A-L-T-O. There's plenty to keep you up at night, but with so many remote workers, IoT devices, and multiple clouds, it's hard to balance keeping everyone productive while keeping the network secure. With Aruba's Edge Services platform, you don't have to choose between delivering network performance or closing security gaps. Learn how Aruba's SASE and Zero Trust framework can help you deploy network security services how and where you choose. Get the facts by visiting vlcm.com slash edge. That's vlcm.com slash edge. The recent Uber breach is a good example that employees are the first line of defense against cyber attacks. Huge. What do you think, what should organizations do to ensure employees are prepared for something like that? Um, so yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, a lot of info going around. And from what I can understand is, uh, I'm not going to give his full name, but it looks like the employee's name was Phil. Um, and the username and password was compromised. They don't know if it was targeted phishing. They don't know if it was purchased on the dark web, uh, but that was the initial start. Right. And then they basically from there, it was two factor, uh, fatigue. Try to log in. It pushes the little two-factor authentication. So again, not perfect, but the, the idea is that if you inundate people with the push notifications, they'll eventually click accept or okay. Apparently, in this case, they had to call Phil, pretend to be uh, Uber tech squad or or the the tech team, saying, "Hey, just click allow." They did. Fell for it. They allowed him in, and this is where it goes crazy. From access from one employee's machine. They were then able um, to scan for network drives there, and they found a shared drive that contained a PowerShell script with admin credentials. 
uh, of the Privilege Access Manager, the PAM. And so PAM is responsible for managing the most privileged accounts on the network, deciding who has access to what, right? And so the fact that one employee could scan for that network drive and then they could find that PowerShell script with hard-coded credentials, admin credentials in it, like God mode credentials inside that is insane. Um, that that Uber would would allow that. That I think that's the biggest problem to pick up on is that compromising one employee's computer should not mean it's game over. You know, um, there should be a level of access control. You should not be having it stored hard coded in a PowerShell script. Um, and obviously we all read the news. It was crazy what this, this guy was able to do, right? He was able to go to their Google cloud, AWS expenses, even their AV and like show off. And it looked like it was just for the laws. There was no, uh, ransom or, or monetization. It was just to show how bad it was for, for the laws, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's um, pretty amazing. Uh, agreed. And it really did show that, I mean, I think at the time too, Uber was being already investigated. They were having hearings for a previous breach in 2016, where Uber had basically paid that attacker or hacker like money to keep it quiet and try and sweep it under the rug. And that became widely known. And so their old CISO was essentially like at the grill or on, while this is all going on, it just doesn't look good for Uber. Um, but again, this isn't just unique or isolated to Uber. There are plenty of large scale companies just as big, if not bigger of Uber doing stuff just like this. It really is kind of scary. Yeah. Um, so, so based on what happened to Uber, like what do you, what would you recommend that organizations do to ensure employees are prepared? Um, well, obviously everyone's going to talk about education and training, making sure employees don't click on stuff they shouldn't click on and be cognizant of 2FA fatigue. Obviously you, the tech um, crew, the IT admins are not going to call you for your password or tell you to click yes. If they needed to, they could get access to those. Like these are big red flags, but everyone's talked about those. And ultimately employees are going to fail. You can't ever just be like in training, it's going to, that's how we stop it. I think, I think the biggest takeaway is setting up your environment or network to where one compromise of that one employee's computer, it, it doesn't lead to a full God mode, it's all over right now. That's why access control, I would say, making sure that you set appropriate access control for employees. Um, most of your employees aren't going to need access to a whole bunch of stuff. And you never want to make sure that by for any reason that anybody could gain access from one PC um, to that. And it just blows my mind, but also at the same time, like so a lot of us you know, sort of just go, of course, you know. <laughs> um, but it's that would be my biggest takeaway: access control, making sure to limit what the employees have access to, um, and obviously regular phishing scenarios. I mean, a lot of these solutions out there, including ours, are you know WebRoot security awareness training. We um, we give out regular phishing simulations, um, and we have custom templates to look like you know Google, eBay, Facebook, PayPal. It doesn't matter. Anyone you wanted to be, even your own in, in you know internal employee login through the intranet or whatever, even your custom logos. This is really important because you want to test your employees to find out, you know, who is failing and then you retarget them. And if they keep failing and obviously you dwindle it down, eventually you're going to get the sliver of group of people who, you know, are failing every single time. And if you know that they're failing every single time and in a real life fishing scenario would sort of, you know, what are they giving away? Are they giving away the keys to the kingdom? 
And so that is essentially what you want to hone down on is finding out your worst offenders and then limiting what they have access to. So access control. And if you have limited resources, start with everyone named Phil. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a shame to to be publicly known like that. Um, but there was some funny memes going around for sure. Yeah. Come on, Phil, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, is employee security awareness enough? I guess not in all. Uh, clearly, you can say at least in Uber's case, they they probably had trained everybody sure. to some extent. So to say, is it enough, or or is there more that can be done to close security gaps that are exacerbated by remote work in particular? Yeah, yeah. I think no layer of security or approach of an attack vector is going to be 100%. And anybody telling you it's going to be 100% just do this doesn't know what they're talking about, hasn't worked in the cat and mouse game for decades. Um, But it's, I would say, it's being looked at more, more and more people are considering it when you talk to, you know, IT professionals. Almost everyone's going to tell you they have a, you know, a security awareness training plan in place. I would just say it's probably not tuned enough, or it's just a once a year type thing. They're doing the bare minimum to make compliance, if that makes sense. It's not being used or optimized the way I would suggest um, or optimal. And that would be, I would say phishing simulations are crucial. Most people think training is just a once a year or once a quarter, take a malware 101 course, you know how it works. Here's an example of of a phishing. Okay, cool. I got it. But I think phishing simulation is probably the most crucial. Actually send them a phishing and then get reports on, did they open it? Did they click on it? What did they do? Did they report it? Or like you have so many different options there because you really get to sort of, it's actionable intel. You've got to sort of find out, and most of your employees will do it. If you do it regularly, like once a month, which is way more than what mo- most people are doing. Once a month, we've found you can reduce your employees from clicking on and falling for phishing by about 90%. Again, you'll never get that to 100, but a 90% reduction is 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 huge just for once a month. Um, so yeah, definitely can be optimized, but most people are considering it. I just think that it's not been... Uh, it's not been per- per- perfected. And I, even my solution probably isn't, isn't perfect there. There's probably still nuance and things to change based on your company and what you do and what you handle and the types of emails you get, whether it's from customers. But um, yeah, definitely needs to be investigated further and, and tweaked based on your organization's needs. So as we wrap up, what's the number one takeaway that our audience should get from our conversation today? If they, if they listen to it all, but only retain one piece, what's the part you really want to drive home? Um, Make sure you have two-factor authentication that I suggest moving away from SMS codes um, or anything like that. I, I think those are silly. I think you should be trying to do the um, the Google Authenticator, if that makes sense, or even hardware ones like YubiKey. Um, two-factor, if you don't have any at all, turn it on. If you do have two-factor, make sure to make it Google Authenticator or one of those ones that require a code that changes every 30 seconds. And then beyond that, access control, making sure you limit what your employees have access to so that in the event that one of your employees does compromise or compromise their computer, and it doesn't compromise absolutely the whole network and everybody who's who's working in it. Um, that's probably the biggest takeaway, I would say, which can be done. If our uh, listeners want to follow you or know more from OpenText Security, uh, give, us, uh, give us the rundown. How do we find you and follow on online? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I run a community. Um, it's it's community.webroot.com. And you can go there to not only learn about uh, our products, but mainly thought leadership. We got tons of news dropping all the time. 
webinars. If you want to join and learn about anything, some of them are, are fun and not even necessarily about security. Um, but most of them are obviously are going to be geared. We've got nastiest malware coming out here in the next few days. So we're going to have a lot of cool stuff we're giving away um, and prizes just for basically showing up, commenting, telling us what you think the nastiest malware of the year was. Uh, we'll, we'll be uh, happy to you know, invite anybody new who wants to come in and, and talk malware or any threats. Awesome. Tyler Moffat with Open Tech Security. Thanks so much for taking some time with us today and sharing your expertise. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Mark. That'll do it for this episode. I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at vlcm.com. That's vlcm.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, the Utah Attorney General's Office, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and our friends at Secuvant. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can hit us up on Facebook as well. We want to hear from you in either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week and stay safe online.